right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 6, and like we've talked about, uh, today we're going to be finishing our series on the subject of creation uh, versus evolution, and if you're if your first-time guest, if it's your first time here at Verity Baptist Church, I want you to understand that uh, we've been in this series for the last, this is the sixth week, we've had five sermons leading up to this week. Uh, so I just want you to understand, just for a little bit of the context, uh, it's kind of like you're coming in at the end of a movie, you know what I mean? You're getting the end of a, of a thing, so it'll be, it'll be good. The sermon can stand on its own, and, and you'll learn something, but understand that there's a lot of context going into this. And uh, just, just to kind of refresh your memory for those of you that have been with us the last several weeks, we, we started this series uh, with a sermon titled, The Fool Had Said in His Heart. And we talked about what it means to what you walk away from when you walk away from God. When you decide to be an atheist and you choose not to believe in God, there are certain things that you walk away from. Some of those things are the fact of moral absolutes. Some of those things are you walk away from the idea of you having a soul. Because if we live in a world that was brought by evolution, if we live in a world that all it is is biology, there's no room there for an immaterial Thing like the soul. And we, we talked about those things and we, we went through that. And then we preached a sermon called Science Falsely So-Called. And we showed what the Bible refers to as science and what science refers to as science, which science is defined as the things that we can observe, that we can predict, that we can test, that we can perform experiments on. And we showed how all of the science that is so-called used for evolution is really just science falsely so-called. It's not science at all. Uh, well, then we talked. We did a sermon entitled "The Heavens Declare," and we looked at how uh, how nature points towards a God, how the fact that the universe is organized and how our own bodies are organized to the point where it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself towards mutations or chaos. It definitely seems like there's a creator who designed and put all these things in place. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been answering a couple of questions. The first question was, is the earth billions of years old? And we gave all the arguments that they give us uh, for the earth's age. And then we looked at what the Bible says. We talked about the day-age theory and the gap theory. Last week, we talked about did men walk with dinosaurs? And of course, evolution tells us that dinosaurs died off 65 million years ago, and man's only been around for 200,000 years, and no man has ever seen a dinosaur. But we went through and looked at a lot of evidence from the Word of God and from history to show that, it is, that, that the evidence points towards the fact that men did walk with giant reptiles, and we, and we looked at all that. And if you missed any of those, I'd encourage you to go on our website and, and, and listen to those sermons because those are kind of laying the foundation. Today, we're finishing this series with this, and, and the, the title of the sermon is this, The Evils of Evolution. And today, we're not really going to talk about evolution as much as what evolution produces. And what I need you to understand is that evolution is simply a weapon. It is a tool that is used by Satan to wage war against God, against the Word of God, and against Christianity. You're there in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice what he says. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against... Notice he doesn't say the devil. He says that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles there, it means something that is beguiling, something that is deceitful, that it means trickery. 
And when I was a kid growing up, there used to be a cartoon, and there was a, 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 the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote, right? And he was always trying to trick the Roadrunner into running into a, a brick wall or running off a cliff or something like that. And that's what the Bible is telling us, that we need to stand against not just the devil himself. We know the devil is a roaring lion, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. But we need to stand against the wiles, the beguiling, trickery, deceitfulness behavior of the devil. And here's what I understand. Evolution is a, is a tool that is nothing but a wile. It's just a lie. It's meant to trick and beguile people into believing against God. And you and I as Christians need to learn to stand against that. That's what the whole point of this series has been. We've been learning about the wiles of the devil. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and if you just want, it's the verse in your bulletin, if you want to look at your bulletin real quickly, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, in whom the God of this world, the God of this world is referring to Satan, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, the Bible tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And there are many people today who have chosen to walk away from God, walk away from the Word of God, and they, they might have been saved, but they've, they've been blinded by the wiles of the devil. And one of those wiles is this idea of evolution. See, you need to understand this, that we are in a spiritual warfare. If you're there in Ephesians 6, we saw there in verse 11, the wiles of the devil. But look at verse 12. Notice what it says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm not battling a human being today. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, there is a spiritual wickedness that is ruling the world today, that is ruling the United States of America today, and we are at war. We are in a spiritual battle against the rulers of this darkness of this world. Notice verse 13. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and listen to me, we are in that evil day. Today is the evil day that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's why I'm calling this sermon the evils of evolution, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And here's what I want you to understand. I don't think Christians, there are many Christians today who think, oh, evolution is just a theory. It's something that's taught, but there's nothing evil about it. There's nothing dangerous about it. There's, it's not trying to hurt us. But here's what you need to understand. The major evolutionists today, the proponents of evolution, and those who started the teaching and promoted the teaching of evolution consider themselves at war with God. They, can, they, they know full well that they are in a war against Christianity, and Christians need to wake up to this idea that we need to engage in war. I'm talking about spiritual warfare against them. There's a, a, a man by the name of uh, Frederick uh, Nietzsche. He is known as the father of the God is Dead movement. And he wrote this. He said, I call Christianity, is a major proponent of evolution. He said, I call Christianity the one great curse, the one enormous and innermost perversion. Another famous evolutionist, 
uh, who's a, a, a very popular proponent for the theory of evolution and, and for atheism, a man by the name of Richard Dawkins, said, it is absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, insane, or wicked. And what I want you to understand is the evolutionist today, I mean, Richard Dawkins is probably the number one proponent of evolution today. And these people know full well that they're not just teaching a theory. They're trying to, in their own words, kill God. They're trying to kill Christianity. They're trying to kill religion. So if you say, why, why have we spent the last six weeks on the subject of creation versus evolution, God versus evolution? Because we're in a spiritual warfare. And this is a tool, it is one of the wiles that Satan is using to deceive people. You're there in Ephesians 6, look at verse 14. You say, well, what do we do? How do we fight back? Notice verse 14. Stand therefore, stand therefore. Say, so how do we stand? Notice what he says. Having your loins girt about with truth. Say, so what, what, how do you fight the lies of evolution? It's simple. You just fight it with truth. It's simple. You say, that's what the last five weeks have been around. We've just been exposing the lies, showing you the truth, showing you what the Bible says, showing you what the Bible teaches. But today, today I want to end the series by going over some of the evils that evolution has produced or promoted in our society today. And if you'd like to take notes, I'd like you to write a couple of, uh, just several of these statements down. Statement number one this morning is this, evolution fosters racism. Evolution fosters racism. You may not be aware of that. You may think that you may say you, you may think that evolution and racism have nothing to do with each other, but I, I'm here to uh, to explain to you that ideas have consequences. And when people teach ideas like the concept of evolution, alongside with that, they are fostering. You say, what do you mean by the word foster? We, it means to promote the growth to promote the development of, to further or to encourage. And evolution promotes the growth, promotes the development, and furthers or encourages the idea of racism. You say, prove that. How is it that evolution fosters racism? Well, the, 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 uh, and I'm going to read several quotes for you, and we're going to get into the Word of God. In fact, go with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number 3. You're there in Ephesians, so if you go one book back, you're there in Ephesians, just one book back. You got the book of Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 3. But let me just start off by uh, reading this. The, 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 the evolutionist Bible, the one number one book promoting evolution, was written by a man named Charles Darwin. And today it is known, the title is simply given as The Origin of Species. Who's ever heard of Darwin's book called The Origin of Species? I think, you know, most, most of us have. Now here's the thing. When the book was written back in the 1800s, it was very popular in those days that books would have really long titles. Today, we usually give a book a short title and maybe a subtitle that kind of explains what the verse is about, what the book is about. In those days, they used to give books extremely long titles. And today, it's interesting because most evolutionists will never read to you the full title of the book written by Darwin. But I'd like to read to you the title, the complete title of the book that Darwin gave his book, and here's the complete title, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. The book is called The Preservation of Favored Races. See, what you need to understand about evolution is that it's not really about uh, 
fish turning into a reptile that turned into a chicken that turned into a, you know, whatever, turned into a dinosaur and the dinosaur turned into a chicken. I'm not sure. You know, whatever their, their, their logic is. And then an, an ape-like being turned into an animal. See, here's what you need to understand uh, into a human. It's not about the ape-like being turning into the human as much as it is about certain races are more ape-like than other races. See, the whole thing about the, the theory of evolution is not about we as mankind came from apes. It's about someone like Charles Darwin looking at someone like, like the Africans and saying they're closer to ape than I am. It's a, it's a theory that is meant to foster evolution. Let me read for you uh, from, a, from a, an article here called Did Darwin Promote Racism? The article says this, Darwin demonstrated how he believed evolution shaped man in his subsequent book, The Descent of Man. So he wrote The Origin of Species on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. In that book, he gave his theory of evolution. But then he wrote another book called The Descent of Man. And in that book, he went into more detail about how man has evolved. And here's, here's what he said. Uh, here's, here's what it says. it says. In it, he theorized that man, having evolved from apes, had continued evolving as various races, with some races more developed than others. Darwin classified his own white race as more advanced than, the, uh, than those lower organisms, such as the pygmies, and he called different people groups savages, low, and degraded. And here's what you need to understand. Darwin would look at people like the tribes in Africa or like the Native Americans here in the Americas or the Aborigines in Australia. And he would say, these are lesser people. These are less evolved people. These people have not evolved to our state. And here's what I want you to understand. Evolution is not just a scientific theory. Evolution is produced, has been produced to foster this idea of racism. Adolf Hitler wrote in his, in his book, Mein Kampf, he wrote these words, if nature does not wish that the weaker individual should mate with stronger, because of course Adolf Hitler was into eugenics, where he tried to keep what he considered the weaker, which meant those that were sick or sickly or elderly, uh, and, and from, from mating, in his words, with, with other individuals. Here's what he said. He said, if nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with stronger, she wishes even less that a superior race, now he's referring to the Aryan Germans as he would consider them, he, she wishes even less that a superior race like the Germans should intermingle with an inferior like the Jews is what he's thinking. Why? He, he asks this question, why? Why would nature not want a, a, a superior race intermingling with an inferior race? And the answer is this, because, according to him, because in such cases, her efforts throughout hundreds and thousands of years to establish an evolutionary higher stage of being may thus be rendered futile. And here's what I want you to understand. And, and please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying everybody who believes in evolution is a racist. I'm not saying that at all. People like to take my words out of context and they'll say, everyone believes in evolution is a racist, they're a reprobate, that's not what I'm saying at all. 
In fact, I think most kids being taught evolution today in schools aren't racist. But here's what I want you to understand. This theory was created to promote racism. And today you would say, today you would say, well, racism's almost done away with in, in America. But look, it's not. And, and part of it is still being fostered by the media and the government. Do you understand that the media and the government has an agenda to keep us in classes? They have an agenda to make the white man look a certain way and the black man look a certain way and the brown man. Look, the Bible teaches, and we're going to get into it in a, in a moment here, but the Bible teaches against racism. The Bible says that, all, that, that we're, we're all descendants of Adam, and we'll get to that here in a moment. Let me read it for you with just one more, one more, uh, one more uh, quote. Darwin wasn't the first to propose biological arguments for racism, but his works fueled the most ugly and deadly racism. Even evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould, who's dead now, but his famous uh, evolutionist proponent, even evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould wrote, biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by order of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. And that's written in a book called On. Ontogeny and phylogeny, and it was written back in 1977 by uh, this uh, professor Stephen Jay Gould. Now let's look real quickly at what the Bible says. You're there in, in Galatians 3. Look at verse number 28, and let's see, well, what does the Bible say about racism? Does the Bible teach that there are some races that are less than others, that are less involved than others, some races that are more superior than others? Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. Neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. See, people like to look at the Bible and say, they'll say, oh, well, that Bible is a racist book. It's a, it, 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 it teaches, you know, uh, power for men and this and that. But listen to me. The Bible, do you understand that the book of Galatians was written 2,000 years ago? The book of Galatians was written at a time when women had no rights. They were seen as property when children had no rights, when people would just kill their children because they were sickly or whatever. And, and at that time, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, would write words like, hey, there's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. See, what Christianity did when Christ came in, he stepped into a world that was all about classes. That was all about, I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. I'm a male. You're a female. You're a slave. I'm free. And he came into that. He said, hey, you know what? When you got saved, you entered into Christ. You became part of the body of Christ, and there's no difference in Christ. In Christ, there is no difference between male and female. In Christ, we are equal. Now look, society, obviously there are differences between males and females. We're going to talk about that on Wednesday night. Obviously, there are differences between a slave and a free man. And the Bible talks about those things. But as far as the value of an individual, the Bible says anybody can come to Christ. He'll accept all. He'll forgive all. And they are all in one. You're there in Galatians. Go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. You got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you don't think that there are people that are racist today, I'm talking about just legitimate racism where they look at someone of a different skin color or of a different culture, nationality, and they think less of them. If you don't think that's alive and well today, you are fooling yourself. It may be a little more discreet and more hidden, You've been watching too much Sesame Street because it's still as alive today as it's ever been. 
And you know what? As Christians, we need to reject that philosophy. As Christians, we need to just realize that there is no difference. Colossians 3, verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. Colossians 3, 11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. That's just saying Jew or Gentile. Barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what he says, but Christ is all? Here's what he's saying. The value that you have to your life is connected to Christ. Please understand this. There is no value to you eternally, and and don't take this the wrong way. There is no value to you eternally in the fact that you're an American. There is no value to you in the fact that you are white or that I am brown or that you are whatever. There's no value to you. The only value, because here's the thing. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. But listen to me. Red and yellow, black and white, they all burn in hell if they reject Christ. Do you understand that? The only value that there is to you is the fact that you've accepted and are connected with Christ. There's no value to you based on your skin color or based on your culture or based on your your social standing. The only value we have, we all deserve to die and burn in hell for eternity. And we are accepted because we are accepted in Christ. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is all and in all. Say, what's my value? God. And by the way, that's where my value comes from. It doesn't come from the government. And, 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 you know, my rights don't come from the government. They come from God. Because God is the one that created us. And God is the one that made us male and female, created he them. In the image of God created he them. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter 10. I just want to show you some verses on this and then we'll move on to something else. Acts chapter 10. I just want you to be clear on this. What does the Bible teach about racism? The Bible is against it. Say, oh, well, aren't those all, all those KKK followers, don't they all call themselves uh, religious? So did Hitler. You know, people use religion, uh, uh, you know, and and do all sorts of atrocities. Obviously, that doesn't mean that they're actually following the Bible. If they actually love the Bible, they would know that the Bible teaches against those things. Acts chapter 10. Verse 28, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 10, 28, notice what it says. We saw this on Wednesday night, but let's just look at it real quickly. Acts 10, 28, and he said unto them, this is Peter speaking, ye know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. This is Peter living at a time when the Jews were separated from the Gentiles. It was culturally unacceptable for them to come together. But notice what he says. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And this is talking about the fact that Peter went and gave the gospel to a Gentile. Go to Acts 17. Acts 17. And let me say something. If, there's, if, if you would not cross the street to give the gospel to someone based on their skin color, there's something wrong with your heart. You need to get your heart right. Because that is not, you're not serving the God of the Bible. You're serving your own God. Acts 17, verse 26. This ought to just put the nail in the coffin, you know, just put it all to rest. Does the Bible teach racism? Acts 17, verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He says, and hath made of one blood all all nations of men. Look, all, all men come from the same descendants. We all come from Adam. We, all, we were all created by God. 
There is no difference. But you, but here you say, well, why, why would you teach against evolution? Here's why. Because you may not understand that evolution fosters racism. It teaches that certain races, and, and look, the word race is not even found in the Bible in regards to, like, human beings. The, the race, like, I'm running the race is found in the Bible. But the word race, you can't find it. Why? Because there's just one human race. We're all just one uh, from one, uh, he, well, like you said, and I've made of one blood all nations. So what do we see? We saw, number one, evolution fosters racism. But number two, if you'd like to write this statement down, you say, why would you preach for six weeks against evolution? Here's why. Not only because evolution fosters racism, but because evolution supports communism. Evolution is a major proponent, or I should say, and it allows for communism. Now, this is not something that we talk a lot about today in 2017, but this is something, the idea of communism haunted the last century and is, is the reason for millions of people's deaths because of communism, and, but communism was allowed, was given permission by evolution. Now, let me just real quickly talk about communism because some of you, you know, maybe you don't know a lot about communism, but here's the thing, communism is alive and well in our world today. There are many Christians that are dealing with communism. And listen to me, our nation is becoming more and more communist every day. All right? I mean, we're, 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 ba- we're, we're not too far away from, from the idea of living in a communist society ourselves. And here's what I want you to understand. Communism is anti-Bible on every point. There was a man by the name of Karl Marx who wrote a book called The Communist Manifesto. And he's basically known as the father of communism. He gave 10 planks of how to turn a a country into a communist nation or what it means to become a communist nation. I don't have time to go through all 10 planks. Maybe one day I'll preach a whole sermon on that. But I just want to, just to make, just to make the point, I want to take the first three planks, the first three points of Karl Marx, what it means to be a communist, how to turn a country communist, and show you how it go, every point goes against the Word of God, all right? Go, you're there in Acts. Go to the book of Proverbs. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. And right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. And I'm not preaching on communism today. Well, I am preaching on communism today. I'm not, the whole sermon's not about communism, but I just want to prove to you. I'm just going to look at the first three. We could go through all ten, but I don't have time to do that. Just going to show you the first three and show you how they're anti-Bible. Because I want you to understand, communism is not something that Christians should get get on par with. And you know, the sad thing is that a lot of communist nations, when they had communist revolutions that took over, a lot of unknown Christians ended up signing up and helping the cause. Of communism, not realizing that it's completely anti-Bible, completely anti-God. But let me let me just show you how communism is anti-Bible, and then I'll show you how communism used evolution to be able to have a platform or to be able to spread, especially in the last uh, the last century. The first plank that Karl Marx gave for for communism. And, and I'm just going to give you abbreviations. I'm not going to read everything he wrote. But number one is basically this, the, the abolition of private property. Yeah, you just get rid of private property. Well, the first plank of communism is no private property. You know, does the Bible teach, that, does the Bible teach the subject of, of private property? It does. All over Scripture you can find it. I'll give you one example. Proverbs 5, look at verse 15. Proverbs 5, 15 says this. 
Proverbs 5.15 says, Drink waters out of thine own cistern. You see that word own there? A cistern is a natural reservoir of water. He says, hey, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Here we see God speaking about the fact that he wants you to own your property. That's what the word own means. It means you own it. You're the owner. And th- this is one example. There's many examples all throughout the Bible. And, but, you know, one of the major characteristics of the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ that we're given in the book of Isaiah is the fact that we're going to own our own property is the fact that God in his perfect government will give man. And you can find it in Leviticus. We'll, find, we'll actually talk about it in the book of Leviticus when we get to it in our study in Leviticus. But we see here an example from Proverbs. Now, keep your finger there in Proverbs. We're going to come right back to it. But go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 17. We're going to come right back to Proverbs. So make sure you can keep your place there. But go to Matthew 17. And let me give you the second plank. So the first one is abolition of private property. The second one is this, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Do we, okay, do we have abolition of private property in the United States of America? The answer is yes. All right? You may not be aware of it, but it's true, and you can research that. Do we have a heavy progressive or graduated income tax in the United States of America? And the answer is yes. We are, and you may not know this, but when America was founded, there was no income tax. The income tax was actually amended into the Constitution not very long ago. But Karl Marx wrote To have a communist nation, you must have a heavy, progressive, or graduated income tax. So here's a question. What does the Bible teach about that? Does Jesus think that people should be taxed by their own government? There's many examples we could look at. Let's look at one. Matthew 17, verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 17, verse 24 says this. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute. Now the word tribute basically means rent or tax, which a lot of our taxes, that's what it is. I pay property taxes. Why? I don't own the, you know, when I pay my house off, I'm not going to own the land. I'm renting the land from the government. They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, does not your master pay tribute? So they're asking him, does Jesus pay his taxes? Does Jesus pay tribute? I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Look at verse 25. He said, now this is Peter speaking. He saith, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him saying. So, Peter, so Peter's asked by the tax collector, does Jesus pay taxes? And Peter says, yes, he does. And then Peter comes into the house, and Jesus, what prevented means, he, he comes before him saying. And Jesus wants to teach a lesson here, and here's what he says. He says, what thinkest thou, Simon? He says, what do you think? What do you think about this? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? And sometimes people try to say, oh, this was a religious thing. It was, not, uh, it was not politically inclined. But Jesus just made it politically inclined by saying the kings of the earth. Right? That's talking about politics. Now notice what he says. Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children? Here's what he's meaning. Of their own citizens or of strangers? The word stranger means foreigners. Here's what he's saying. Who do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Do they tax their own people or do they tax other people, strangers, foreigners? Look at verse 26. Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is teaching that in a government, that the government should not tax its own people because the children should be free. 
And if they're going to tax anybody, they should go tax foreigners. You know, people got mad. They're like, oh, you guys went to war in Iraq. And I'm not saying we should have gone to war in Iraq. I'm not saying that at all. But people are like, you, got, you know, the U.S. went to war in Iraq. Then they wanted to take all the oil and this and that. That's who they should have taken it from. They shouldn't be taking it from their own citizens, according to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have even been in Iraq. That's not the point that I'm making. I hope you understand what I'm saying. The point that I'm saying is this. Jesus says, if you pay taxes, you're not free. Do you understand that? He said, look, if, if, if the children don't pay taxes, then the children are free. And the point that he's making is we're not free because we're about to pay taxes. So look, in the United States of America, are you and I free today? The land of liberty. Well, if you pay taxes, you're not free, according to Jesus. Because the children are supposed to be free. And, and the kings of the earth are supposed to take custom or tribute of their own children, not of their own children. And if they're going to do it, it should be of strangers. It should be of other foreigners. Now, before you get all Kent Hovind on me, this is why I don't think we should pay taxes. Well, look at verse 27, because notice what Jesus does. Notwithstanding. Here's what he said. Here's, my, here's what Jesus said. My point is this. The children should not have to pay taxes. If you're paying taxes, you're not free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea, cast an hook, take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find the piece of money that take and give it unto them for me and thee. So here's the question. Did Jesus pay taxes? Yes, he did. Did Jesus think it was right for him to have to pay taxes? No, he didn't. So why did he do it? Because it wasn't that big of a deal to him. You know, taxes is not my issue. Do you understand that? The love of money is the root of all evil. When people say, like, oh, we need to stand up because I don't want to pay my tax. You know what? Your money perish with you. I'd much rather just let them have their stupid monopoly money and go preach the gospel and get people saved and disciple people. You know what Jesus was about? He was about the gospel. He was about the Great Commission. He, in theory, understood. We shouldn't have to pay these taxes. You're going to pay them, Jesus? Yeah. It's not my, I'm not going to die on that hill. So I'm sorry, Kent Hovind, you're wrong. It's stupid to die on that hill and go spend 10 years of your life in prison. Just give him the stupid money and preach the gospel. That's what Jesus would have done. Not only is that what Jesus would have done, that's what Jesus did. And you know what I've noticed is most people that make this, they're big like, not paying taxes. They don't go soul winning. They don't disciple anyone. They don't preach the gospel. You know what I'm going to make my, I'm going to make a big deal of what Christ made a big deal about. You know what Christ made a big deal about? You know what he talked about five separate times he gave a commission on the gospel? The last thing he says to his disciples is, go preach the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do. You say, well, what about taxes? I'm going to just take the same stand Jesus said. I'm going to say, it's stupid that we pay taxes. Here you go, stupid government. I really could care less about it. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. A heavy progressive tax is a communist country. And Jesus said, look, we shouldn't be paying it. The children should be free. Therefore, if we're paying it, we're not free. But he said, I'm just going to pay it anyway. It's not, I'm not going to die on that hill. It's not my big, one big issue that my life is all about. Go back to Proverbs. So we saw the abolition of private property. We saw a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. But let me give you a third one. And I look, I'm just giving you the first three. We can go through all ten and show you how they're all anti-Bible. But look, if we lived in a righteous government, right? People get tired of hearing me, that, hearing me say that. If we lived in a righteous government where we follow the laws of God, okay, not only would Leviticus 2013 be enacted and all these stinking, filthy, sodomite pedophiles would be put to death, but we would also not have to pay any taxes. So look, it sounds good to me. You know, I think that's great, but we don't live in that society. So guess what? We don't go put them to death and we just pay taxes and we preach the gospel because that's not the nation we live in. We don't live in, in, 
in the nation that Christ rules today. One day Christ will come back and we will live under his laws. Matthew 17, verse 27. I'm sorry, Proverbs 19, verse 14. Well, actually, let me give you the third one. Abolition of right of inheritance. The third plank is to remove the right of inheritance, where no one can leave an inheritance for their child because the government wants to take it. Is that what the Bible teaches? Proverbs 19, verse 14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. So notice the Bible says house and riches are the inheritance of fathers. You should try it. Look, as a father, you should try to leave. And if you can't, you know, if life has been hard for you, I'm not saying that you need to. That makes you godly. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, our goal should be to live, to give houses, riches, leave it as an inheritance for our children. And God speaks of it favorably, but yet the communists say abolition of rights, uh, 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 of inheritance. Remove it. And here's, here's the only point. You say, why are you bringing this up? The, the only point I'm trying to make is this. On every account, communism is anti the Bible. I mean, it's like they sat down and thought, what does the Bible teach about this? And then they chose to teach the other, all right? So communism is anti-Bible. It's anti the Word of God. Am I necessarily going to go die on that hill? No, all right? And don't try to convince me. I don't really care. Don't talk to me about it afterwards, all right? Just go preach the gospel. But here's the thing. Is it wrong, though? Should we preach against it? Absolutely. Should we talk about it? Should we be educated? Absolutely. But look, if I'm going to die for something, it's going to be for the Word of God, Like it says in the book of Revelation that they died for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want to go to heaven and say, what they kill you for? What they imprison you for? Man, I was preaching the gospel and I was getting people saved and Caesar hated me for it. And we just said we ought to stand with God, you know, and and not stand for men and and, and have that. I don't want to say, well, I spent 10 years of my life because I don't want to give him my money. You know, and here's how you solve that problem. You just have no money, (laughs) you know. It's like, what are they going to take? They want to take my house? Go for it. Things falling apart anyway. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers. We just need to get away from this mentality where we put money on this level. Money is nothing. All right? Gold is nothing. You know they pave the streets in heaven with gold? They use it as asphalt. It's not that big of a deal for God. But here's the point. Communism uses evolution as a foundation. Communism uses evolution as a foundation. Let me, lead, let me read some, some quotes for you. And you can make yourself with the book. Of, go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Communism uses evolution as its foundation to promote communism. Here's a quote from Karl, Karl Marx. He wrote this to his colleague, December 19th, 1860. And he's speaking about the, Darwin's book, The Origin of Species. Here's what he said. This is the book, talking about Darwin's book. This is the book which contains the basis in natural history for our view. Talking about communism. This is the father of communism. This is a man that basically that wrote the Communist Manifesto. He says, hey, this is exciting because he's teaching from natural history what's going to support our communist view. Not only that, but Marx himself inscribed, he hand wrote, he, he, he wrote a book called Das Kapital, which he sent as a gift to Darwin, and in the book he wrote, Sincere Admirer, all right, so obviously there's a connection, Karl Marx really liked the idea of evolution, the man who gave us communism loved evolution, Mao uh, Zedong said this, Chinese socialism 
And, and by the way, this man is, is, is responsible for the killing of millions of his own people. Chinese socialism, here's what he said, Chinese socialism is founded upon Darwin and the theory of evolution. He said, my revolution that I'm leading in China, all these millions of people that are being killed, it's founded upon Darwin and the theory of evolution. Joseph Stalin, another dictator that killed millions of his own people, he said this. He said, there are three things that we do to, that we do to disabuse our mind, the minds of our seminary students. Okay, I want you to understand what he's saying. He says, there are three things that we do to disabuse, meaning to free from the minds of our seminary students. Now, seminary is referring to a Bible college. I'm not necessarily for Bible college, but he's talking about these are students that are learning about theology, learning about God. He said, there are three things that we do to disabuse the minds of our seminary students. We had to teach them, here's what he says. Number one, we had to teach them the age of the earth. We had to teach them that the earth is not 6,300 years old like the Bible says, but it's billions of years old. Number two, the, ge- the geologic origin, and what he means by that is basically that life came from rocks, because that's what evolution teaches, that rocks gave us, brought us life. And number three, and we talked about that in another sermon, I'm not going to go into that. And number three, he said Darwin's teaching, talking about the, the, the theory of evolution. So here's what Joseph Stalin said. Joseph Stalin said, we had to teach the students that learn about the Bible, here's the three things we had to teach them. We had to teach them to worship the devil. We had to teach them to sacrifice to idols. We had to, he didn't say any of that. You know what he said? We had to teach them the age of the earth, the geologic origin, and Darwin's theory. Darwin's teachings. Why? Because Joseph Stalin understood this, that communism is founded upon evolution. A man by the name of James Reeve, he's a Harvard University historian, and he wrote a book about the, re- the, the communist revolution in China, and his book is entitled China and Charles Darwin. And here's what he wrote. He said, in short, there is an unbreakable link between the theory of evolution and communism. The theory provides a so-called scientific support for atheism. Communism and atheist ideology is for that reason firmly tied to Darwin. And you say, well, what, what is it that evolution gave to communism? And it basically gave it two main things. The first thing it gave it was it got rid of God. Because in order for communism to work, there can be no God. Which is why all ten planks are just anti-Bible. Because in communism, government is God. And by the way, that's the way America's going. America's going down the road of worship the government. And here's the thing, and, and you know, Fidel Castro was basically the god of Cuba, and Adolf Hitler was basically the god of Germany, and Joseph Stalin was basically the god of Russia, or whatever. And so, so evolution gives them a scientific theory that just discredits God, discredits the Bible. But here's the second thing, that the, the second gift that evolution gives communism, and it's this, it, it devalues human life. Because again, there's no sanctity of human life. There's no value for human life. Pol Pot and his communist regime in Cambodia, you know, get this, from 1975 to 1979 in Cambodia, they had these killing fields. When the communists took over, they killed 1.5 million Cambodians from 1975 to 1979. 1.5 million of the total population of 7 to 8 million. So you got 7 to 8 million and they killed 1.5 million in like four years. 
And here's how they would justify it. They justified it by having this statement that they would teach and that they would constantly reaffirm to themselves. And here's what they would say. They would say, keeping you is no gain, losing you is no loss. Here's what they said. We're not really sure if you're against us. We're not really sure if you're for us. We kind of think that you may not like what we're doing. And since keeping you is no gain and losing you is no loss, let's just go ahead and kill you because we're all a bunch of animals anyway. See, what evolution did is it devalued life. It devalued the sanctity of human life. And it allowed communism to have this platform where they could teach it as a theory, teach it as a science, and then justify. Look, the only way you can justify what Hitler did to the Jews is evolution. The only way you can justify what these people are doing, what, what Stalin did, is this theory. They all believed in this theory of evolution. So what are the evils of, of, of evolution? Number one, evolution fosters racism. And look, I realize this sermon is not the most you know, uplifting. You're like, I want to come to church and be uplifted. Maybe you can catch Joel Osteen on the way. I don't know. You know. But here's the thing. We're in a spiritual warfare. Battle's not always encouraging. You need to know who you're against. And you know, evolution fosters racism. And right there, I mean, that ought to be enough to just walk away from evolution. Number two, evolution supports communism. But number three, evolution leads to atheism. Evolution leads to atheism. Let's look at that real quickly. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll, we'll be done here in like 10, 15 minutes. Romans 1. Look at verse 21. We'll do it faster if you can move quickly. <laughs> Listen quickly. Romans 1.21. Notice what it says. Romans 1.21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. What is that? That's atheism. They knew God, but they chose to glorify him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And what's interesting is that Psalm 14 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And here the Bible tells us, professing themselves to be wise. And isn't that what Richard Dawkins does? Isn't that what all these scientists do? They act like they're so smart. They act like they're so wise. But you know what? When you walk away from God, you're a fool. The fool had said in his heart, there is no God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Look at verse 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Notice. Notice what he says. And birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Isn't that evolution? What, what does evolution teach? That we came from birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. It elevates this idea of animals and humans being uh, uh, connected. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And notice, worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And amen. That's evolution. Isn't that the society we live in today? I mean, don't we live in a society that worships and serves the creature more than the creator? I mean, if you, if, if, and I'm not, look, I don't think people ought, ought to be cruel to animals. I think people ought to be kind to their animals, and the Bible even teaches that. But if you go and kill a dog today, you go and kill a cat today, you will have more people hating you than there are people hating the abortion doctor is killing a bunch of humans. Because why? Because we live in a society that's, that worships and serves the creature more than the creator. So we see evolution in this passage. But notice what it leads to. We saw evolution, and it'll lead to atheism. They knew God. They glorified Him not as God. Look at verse 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Look at verse 25. 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than greater. And listen to me very carefully. Today we got a whole host of young people, young kids that are going to school and from kindergarten, they're being told millions of years ago, billions of years ago, dinosaurs roamed the earth and they get them all excited about dinosaurs. Then they teach about evolution and they say, you know, we came from, there's the prehistoric man and remember Fred Flintstone and this and that and all that. But listen to me, what is the goal? They're trying to get them to not believe in God who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than creator. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want to think about God. They don't want to consider God. Now listen, evolution. What is, what is evolution? Worship the creature more than the creator. What is evolution? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What is evolution? The uplifting of birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Evolution leads to atheism. What's atheism? They knew God. They glorified him not as God. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, we see both evolution and atheism in this passage. But you know what else we see? We see humanism. So what's humanism? Humanism is the uplifting of a human being where basically a man takes the place of God. And not only do we see evolution in this passage, not only do we see atheism in this passage, we also see humanism in this passage. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Notice, here's humanism, but became vain in their imaginations. What's it mean to be vain? It means all your thoughts are about yourself. It's all about me. We live in a humanistic society. I don't know if you know that. It's all about me. If it feels good, do it. As long as you're happy. Just follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But our society says, just follow your heart. Whatever makes you happy. But here's what the Bible says. Evolution, we see in this passage, will lead to atheism. We see in this passage, will lead to humanism. They became vain in their imaginations. Look at verse 23. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Notice, made like to corruptible man. Now God, God is us. I'm God. You're God. We're the most evolved creature on this earth. And they changed. The Bible says they, they, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men. So we see atheism in this passage. We see evolution in the passage. We see atheism. We see humanism. You know what else we see? We see hedonism. What's hedonism? Hedonism, see... Evolution leads to atheism. Atheism leads to humanism. Humanism leads to hedonism. What's hedonism? The pursuit of pleasure. Because if life's all about me, then I just want to make myself feel good. But you know what's interesting? We see that in this passage too. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Uh, excuse me, I read the wrong verse. Look at verse 24. Hedonism. Verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up unto uncleanness, notice these words, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. See, when you give yourself to just the lust of your own hearts, please understand this. These perverted, reprobate, child-molesting pedophiles, they don't start off that way. You become a reprobate, and we're going to see it in this passage, it's a road you go down. But it starts by just fulfilling the lust of your hearts. It starts by just, if it feels good, do it. 
You say, how do you get to hedonism where society is all about? I mean, life is all about. I mean, just go to work and talk to the average coworker, And you know what you're going to hear them talk about, speak about? No denying of self. No, I'm a disciple. I'm living a disciplined life. I'm living for others. Everyone is living for themselves, for their own pleasure, for what they want. You say, how do they got there to hedonism? They got there through humanism. It's all about me. You're going to go to church on Sunday? Why? There is no God. It's all humanism. How do you get there? Atheism. I thought there is no God, so it must all be about me. How do you get there? Evolution. See, evolution leads to atheism, which leads to humanism, which leads to hedonism. Say, well, what's the problem? What's it matter if life's just about having fun and life's just about fulfilling your desires and life's just about fulfilling the lust of their own heart? Here's the problem with that. It leads to rejection from God. Because, and most Christians don't believe this today, but the Bible teaches very clearly that if God makes his gift available, salvation available, forgiveness available to everyone, but if people will constantly reject God and reject God and reject God and reject God, eventually there comes a time where God will reject them. And it's called being a reprobate. I was giving the gospel to uh, someone, I I think it was on Thursday, I think I was with Brother Oliver on Thursday. And it was this lady, and she said, I don't believe. She said, I don't believe in, in, in the Bible. I don't believe in God, but she's willing to hear, hear me give her the gospel. And I wanted to give her the gospel because I told her, I understand you don't believe this, but my job is not to try to, I'm not a door-to-door salesman here. I don't get some sort of commission. My job is just to try to warn people. And if, if I can win you to Christ, great, but I at least want to warn you. And at the very least, let me explain to you what you're rejecting so you can never stand before God and say, no one explained it to me. And she said, well, yeah, I mean, that's fine. And I explained to her, and she said, man, you answered a lot of questions. She said, I don't know that I believe it, but you answered a lot of questions. But she said, she said, my problem is, she said, my problem is that I just can't believe what Christians teach, that someone could just molest children and hurt children and, and, and be these serial abusive killers and just God's just going to forgive just because they asked for forgiveness right before they die. I just, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And I said to her, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that either. Look, the Bible says that God gives people up. He sears their conscience. You, you think Adolf Hitler could have just got saved the last minute right before he died? The guy was a reprobate. The guy was rejected. Look, committing adultery is one thing. Even killing is one thing. But when you're just mass killing people, just hurting people, you cross a line. And the Bible tells about those things. You say, what are you talking about? Look at Romans 1. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Notice what it says. And their foolish heart was darkened. And you know what? We're we're just like a day. isn't, Isn't Father's Day next week? Two weeks. We're just right about that time last year, right? Last year I preached the Orlando sermon and all, you know, everything went crazy. I, I guess I'm just getting the itch again. Here's what it is. It's a, year, it's a year later and we still believe it. It's a year later and nothing's changed. It's a year later and it's still the Bible. People are like, oh, well, of course you regret. I don't regret saying anything. Well, aren't you sad that people left? Those people needed to leave. This is what the Bible says. Notice, and their foolish heart was darkened. God says he darkened their heart. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Notice verse 24. Wherefore, don't miss this. You got to underline this in your Bible. Wherefore, God also gave them up. You're like, well, why do you give up on people just because they molest children? If God gave up on them, why would I? Why would I? Am I better than God? Why would you give up on people just because there's these filthy animals and they do all these perverted things? Look, if God gave up on them, good night. Who am I to stand against God? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, for this cause, God gave them up. God never gives up on anybody. Well, he gave up on these people. God gave them up. Notice what it says. Unto vile affections. What are vile affections? For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. You know how God calls that vile? It's unnatural. It's not normal. People are like, well, why are you always putting pedophiles in with sodomites? Uh, because they're the same. Because it's not natural for a woman to want to be with a woman. It's not natural for a man to want to be with a man. It's not natural for an adult to want to be with a child. It's not natural for a person to want to be with an animal. They're all the same thing. There's no difference. And what's crazy is that we're going to get to a place in our society when people are like, oh, you're so judgmental. Just because he wants to lay with some beast, you think, you, you know, you think there's something wrong with them. It's perfectly normal. It's unnatural. That's what the Bible says. And you've got to decide what you believe. You say, well, I don't think you should be preaching like this. We're in a battle, my friend. We're in a war. We're losing. We're, and by the way, we're losing. We're losing the next generation. We're losing our children because we're allowing them to be taught the stupidity of evolution. Notice verse 26. For this cause God gave them up into vile affections for their, even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God, look, look. God gave them over. To a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means rejected. We saw on Wednesday night in 1 Timothy, he sears their conscience. And by the way, the only way that people could do those unnatural acts is if their conscience are seared. And I'm not talking about someone being taken advantage of as a child. or I'm, not talking, I'm talking about people that are burning in their lust one towards another. They're living that lifestyle they, they, and they don't think there's anything wrong with it. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Notice, notice the end there of Romans 1. Romans 1. Pastor Emmanuel, did you learn your lesson not to preach against the filthy perverts? Um, verse 32, I'm pretty sure, I don't, know if, I don't know if your Bible has verse 32 in it, but my, mine does. And it says this, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. It still says it. Not only do the same, but have the pleasure in them that do them. I can't believe you would say that they're worthy of death. I didn't say it. Paul did I didn't say it. God did. I didn't say the word of the holy word of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And they wrote, the Holy Ghost said that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Still believe that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think so. Well, what about, that doesn't really make a difference to me. Well, what if I leave? There's the door. 
Well, you're never going to build a church. I wasn't ever trying to. Well, what about principles of church growth? Yeah, they're us trusting God to grow his church. And we're told, you know what we're told? Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He didn't say, you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. But you know what's interesting about that? Then he said this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what I learned from that? Is that our job is to be fighting hell and let God worry about building his church. And by the way, gates don't move. It's talking about we're on the offense. We're attacking. We're going forward. We're preaching the truth. We're preaching the gospel. Say, how do you do that? Well, look, look at Romans 125 again. We'll end where we started. Who changed, some of you are like, I like the dinosaur sermon better. <laughs> Who changed the truth of God. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. Do you remember where we started this morning? We started here. Finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power is might. right? Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore? It says, for that reason. Wherefore? Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's the day we live in today. And having done all to stand, he says this, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's what it's about. It may not be popular. It may not be what's going to build the biggest fun center in Sacramento, but it's about truth. It's about here to have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the fact that the Bible never changes. Society changes. People change. And Lord, help us to remember that the reason we preach sermons like this is not because we hate those who believe in evolution. We want to warn them about the truth of the evils that evolution leads to. And Father, I pray that you would please help us to realize we are in a battle. We are losing the next generation, and partly is because of the wiles of the devil, the trickery. Lord, help us to stand. Help us to stand in the right places. Help us to realize that we are to preach the word in the pulpit, and we're supposed to preach the gospel out to the community. Lord, help us to keep it the main thing, the main thing. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.